even with the new air conditioner, we get this many people in this room, and it will be hot. <laughs> so you have to keep uh, doing the best we can. You can think of me when you get in here and it's warm, Mark and I, where we are going in Myanmar, there is no air condition except in the hotel room at night when you get home, and it sometimes works. Uh, the, uh, the temperature is as hot or hotter than here, and we sweat the whole time, but it will be good, and you will be able to feel a little bit of that with us here. I'm so thankful everybody's here, though, and uh, I'm taking a break from Luke for maybe one, maybe two weeks. We'll see. Uh, depends on how far I get through this passage uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. So take your Bibles and turn over there to 2 Corinthians 5. There's two reasons I'm taking a break from Luke. One, and primarily, uh, I got uh, attracted to this passage this week, starting back on, uh, it was actually last week, the week before, started looking at the verse we're going to, we taught at VBS last week, or this week, rather, um, yesterday, uh, in verse 21 of chapter 5, and, and just wanted to understand the passage. And so it was consuming me and thought to myself that, you know, that it's not going to hurt you all to take one break and let's look at this passage. Uh, also, it, it will be a good passage that I might be able to preach while I'm in Myanmar, so it's... Uh, serving that dual-edged sword. So uh, let's look at our passage. Just to give you a little background on this book, uh, Paul wrote this book after a long trial with the Corinthian church. This is most likely his fourth letter to the church. Uh, two of the letters are lost. We don't have them, and they're not a part of Scripture. Two of them we have, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. This is the last of the letters. At the point Paul wrote this letter, things were getting better for the church and their relationship with Paul, but they weren't completely right yet. Most of the church had repented, as 2 Corinthians 7 talks about, of their rejection of Paul. However, there was a loud minority, a, a, a group within the church, a small group within the church that was still making problems for Paul and his authority as an apostle. So he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, to humbly defend himself, not boasting in himself. And it's a very hard thing for Paul to do. You can see the tension as he goes through the letter. It's almost like he has to defend himself throughout the letter. He's trying to do that, but he doesn't want to boast in himself. So he's constantly, you know, this is the grace of God, and God's given me this. It's grace. It's not because of me. I'm not something special. But God's grace is working me in me, and I am an apostle. So he, he defends himself humbly. He writes calling the church to ignore these false teachers and to trust the Lord's grace in their life. And the section we're looking at is in the middle of Paul's humble defense. Paul gives us a clear summary, though, of the gospel of Jesus Christ here. This is the good news of the person and work of Jesus. This is the gospel that was the center of everything that Paul did. Again, to put, he's put in a very difficult place, but 
in the process still wants to defend the gospel and, and have these people listen. So let's look at our passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 21. Let's read. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that as we look at what it means to be in Christ, that we will understand your word, that we will understand who we are in Christ. And we pray that we will walk out of this place changed and ready to be an ambassador for Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're going to look at three amazing truths for all true believers in Jesus Christ to hold on to. But before we look at these, we need to know who are the truths or who do the truths apply to. These truths are not for every person. These truths are for those who are in Christ. In this passage, the concept of being in Christ is a main theme. Now, it's very important that you see what I'm talking about. Notice in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Then in verse 19, it says, Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And then in the end verse, in 21, it, it points out at the end, So that we might become the righteousness of God in him, referring again to in Christ. What does this concept of in Christ mean? It is the sphere or the place of Christ's influence. It's where his power or his control is seen. It's in Christ. This is Christ's realm of power and influence. This is Christ's spiritual kingdom. Here in this world, it is our spiritual union with Christ. In Christ, this concept, very important. Let's look. It would be like two spheres. It's not like here. 
if you look in this room, we can tell who's in the room, correct? You can look in this room, and the location is literally everybody in this room's in this room, and everybody that's in the nursery is in the nursery. You can see it. This location, it's very clear, right? But this is a spiritual realm. It's a, a location where people don't see the boundaries. For example, there could be people in this spiritual realm, realm right here in this room. There are hopefully many of us that are in the realm of Christ. And then there's others in this room that are in the realm of the world. It's a different realm. How do you know whether you're in Christ or not? How do you know if you're in this realm or in this realm? If you're in Christ's realm of power and influence or in this one? Here's how you know. Christ's realm, Satan's realm. Okay, watch. If you're in Christ's realm, you're true believers. True, genuine believers in Christ are in Christ's realm. They're born again. They have a new heart. They know Jesus. Now, that's not just no facts about him, but they intimately know him. Their sins are forgiven. Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Spirit is in them. The Holy Spirit's in them, dwelling and abiding in the believers. It's called the body of Christ. That's the spiritual realm. And it's God's adopted child. If you're this, if this describes you, you're in Christ. You're in that realm. Whether you're in this room or not, you're in that realm. You understand? If you're in Satan's realm, you're unbeliever. You're dead in your sins. You can no longer do what's right. You can't do what's right. You Now listen, you can do good things. The world can look at you and say, that's a pretty good person. But you're not doing what God wants you to do. You're not doing it to honor him. You're not really saved. You know God, but you don't know him personally. There, you understand who God is, but you haven't submitted your life to him. Okay? You're a child of wrath. Literally, wrath is holding over you. Not submitted to Christ Jesus. In other words, you really haven't given your life and you're not submitted. Your heart's not submitted to him. And the world's Satan's own. In other words, these are the ones that Satan has blinded. Most of the world is here. A small, narrow is the way to Christ. Narrow is here in Christ. All of you who have repented and trusted in Christ, you're in Christ. If you've turned from your sins, you're in Christ. That's what he's talking about in this passage. There's two possible spiritual realms, and this is for the ones in Christ. So all of us who have truly turned from our sins and trusted in Christ are in a new relationship with God. You're in Christ, okay? And this passage applies to you directly. It applies greatly for you. So Paul explains in this passage in two main points. First... God's work in Christ, and then second, which, by the way, God's work in Christ is what God has done or accomplished for his people in Christ, and second, our responsibility in Christ. And he mingles it back and forth within the passage, what God's people 
are responsible to do because we're in Christ. If we're in this realm, what are we supposed to do? Those two things are in this passage, okay? You're following along in your Bible, you'll see these as we go along, okay? Here we go. Let's start with the first one. God's work in Christ. In that realm, Paul describes three amazing truths God has accomplished or finished. All of these are in Christ. We'll start. The first work God has accomplished. The first work God has accomplished for us is in Christ is a transformation in Christ. A transformation in Christ. You can get these in your notes. A transformation. What does the word transformation mean? This is a total change. A radical change of heart. Okay? A radical change. It's seen in these verses in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 5. The transformation includes, one, God has transformed the believer's thinking. He's changed the way we think. True believers have a new thinking. Look at verse 16. It says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. What's the point? Look. Before we become believers, the gist of this is, that we look at people, we recognize people, we see the way the world is totally different. Our thinking is this. We look at people and we say, well, that's a good person. That's a bad person. That one's okay. I kind of like that person. That person treats me good, so I kind of like them. Before we are believers, before we're in Christ, we look at the world and we see things differently. We acknowledge things, we recognize things in the flesh, in our sin nature. We see things skewed, our minds are messed up. We don't interpret things right. But, and for example, we even think of Jesus in a different way. Before I was a believer, for 21 years, Jesus was my, uh, for lack of a better term, homeboy. He was somebody I called on when I needed somebody he was just a good person. Well, he came to earth. I'm not sure if he was God. I wasn't really completely convinced of that. Uh, I thought the word was pretty good, but it wasn't holy. It wasn't perfect. My thinking was wrong about Christ. I thought he was, you know, if I needed something, I could call on him. He was like a genie. You know what I mean by a genie? If you're in a jam, call on him. I remember shooting basketball hoops. This is how bad my thinking was. And I thought to myself, if I make this basket, I'm going to get married by the age of 25. If I don't make this basket, I'm never going to get married. So I'd shoot the hoop, and I'd miss. i go, oh, no. Oh, no. God, help me. I want to be married before 25. Let me make this next shot. And I'd make it. I go, ah, yeah, my genie came through. I thought of Jesus wrong. I thought of him according to the flesh. I thought wrong. But now I know him different. He's the Lord. He's in control. He's master. He does what he wishes. I submit to him. 
We know him differently. Everybody in Christ thinks about Christ different than they used to. So there's a transformation of the believer's thinking. Second, there's a transformation of the believer's nature. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What's the gist? What's the point of this? The believer has changed. She's gone under a radical change. Again, this means that our heart, our nature has changed. Our desires have changed. We are committed to different things. We're in allegiance to Christ now. Our, re- our hearts have been converted or regenerated. He has given us new desires to exalt Christ, not ourself. It's about Christ, not me. By the way, I want you to do a little test. If you're ever watching on television and a pastor is always about exalting himself, be careful. <laughs> Run from that pastor. Because even in Paul's defense here, he has to defend himself against the attack. Who is he exalting? He's making a point to exalt Christ and God and talk about his grace. Saying that he doesn't deserve it. Be careful, ladies and gentlemen. Those false apostles that Paul was talking about were about exalting themselves. And so here he says those who have been changed, they think different, they have a new heart, they're new creatures, the old has passed away, and new things have come. Now the natural question is this, let me ask you. If you're a believer in Christ, you really trusted in him, do you battle sometimes that you feel like you're still in the old things? <laughs> Constantly, don't we? I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing for this message. All things have passed away. New things are here. That means what? I'm right. Okay, I'm, I'm going to always do what's right. No. See, as long as we are in these bodies of death, we still battle the old things. But we have the ability now, by God's grace, to do what's right. We can do it by grace of God and by trusting in Christ. We are new creatures. Do you understand? The battle's there, but we've been transformed. We have new natures. We can follow him. Not to exalt ourselves, but because we love him. It is important to note, who does the transforming? Look at verse 18, the beginning of it. It says, now all these things are from God. All new believers have been transformed because of God's grace. Do you understand, folks? Paul doesn't stand up and say, look, I changed my life. I did it. I cleaned myself up. I'm all right. I'm the one. He makes emphasis to say what? All these transformings are from God. Everything that God has done, he has done it. Why is that important? Because that leaves out all bragging. (laughs) Do you understand, folks? We have nothing in this room to brag about. (laughs) If you're in Christ, you don't go, 
faith did it. I'm in the realm. I got in Christ. No. It's from God. You're there because God worked. It's from him. All these things are from God. So the first truth is God's transformation in Christ. Second, his reconciliation in Christ. It says, God has reconciled his own to himself. From God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. What does this word reconciliation mean? Reconciliation. Reconciliation is the act of restoring a broken relationship between two parties at enmity with each other. In this case, reconciliation is an act where God made a provision for his holy wrath. Okay? Against sinners. Let me explain. For 20, roughly 21 years of my life, I was God's enemy. I was his enemy. I thought that God, I was right with God, but I wasn't. I was his enemy. I was alienated from him, separated, okay? But then God made a provision for me. Now, that was way back in history. It was done way before, but it wasn't credited to my account, and the heart completely changed until 21 years into my life. What was the provision God made to make the relationship right? What was it? Christ's death. God punished the son for my sin. And when I trusted in Christ alone to save me, then my relationship with God has changed. I've been reconciled to God. I have a right relationship with God. Same way with you. If you trusted him and you trusted in his uh, forgiving or for, in his death, you're right with Christ now. You're right with God. You're reconciled. God has reconciled you, made you right. The restoration of a broken relationship is done. Notice, though, the reconciliation in this passage is from God, again, who reconciled us to himself. Again, I didn't one day say, oh, I'm an enemy of God. I think I'm going to do something to make myself right with God. Did you hear that? I'm going to stop sinning, change my heart, start being a good person, and now God's going to love me. It doesn't say that. The reconciled is the concept that God reconciled me. He did it to himself. He stepped down into my life and did something in my life. You understand? It's the same way with you. It's the same way with all of us. Our relationship with God, with Christ, is from God. A right relationship. God's work through Christ is what does it. It's through what Christ did. It's through his death, not my works. It's not what I do. It's what Christ did. And it's God's work without distinction. What's that mean? It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, I have a question for you real quick. Right here. The world to himself. 
Is everybody in the world reconciled with God? Is everybody right with God? Is every single person, that means, if so, then we're all going to heaven, right? Even unbelievers. Why come to church? Don't come to church. Everybody's coming. Is that what Paul means here? The world to himself? No. He means the whole world without distinction. In other words, he didn't look down and say, oh, I'm going to pick on you because you're here. Daniel being Jewish, since he's Jewish, I'm going to pick him alone. And I'm going to reconcile just the Jewish people to myself. It's without distinction. It's the whole world without distinction, not without exception. Not every single person. Didn't reconcile everybody. But it wasn't because of nationality or ethnicity or culture. He didn't pick us and reconcile us because we're something special. God loves deaf people. God loves hearing people. He reconciles people from all different cultures. It's not about just one group. That's what the point is. He reconciled the world without distinction to himself. Not every single person. And God's work of forgiveness is what this reconciliation is all about. Not counting their trespasses against them. Oh, this is good news. That means all of our sins are forgiven. Anybody in Christ, no more sin. It's paid for. Every last sin, past, present, and future. Wow, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? Now, I know some of you are asking, if I'm right with God, I'm reconciled with God, then why should I confess my sin? I mean, it's paid for, right? I want you to get something. This is very hard, and I want you to get this concept. There's reconciliations on reconciliation on two levels. That is, there's reconciliation from enemy to child with God, adopted. That's the first level. That's when you first become a believer, okay? A genuine believer. You're reconciled to God. But then there's reconciliation that keeps going. Between the father and the son. That is, that's the kind of reconciliation that I have with Andrew and Caleb and Luke. They never stop being my children. They're my children. They're always my children. You understand? But they do mess up and they need to come to me and they need daddy to forgive them. So there is this ongoing relationship that has to be continued to be sought through what Christ has done. So reconciliation is not just a one-time deal. It is initially enemy, friend, right with God, okay? But then there's this ongoing reconciliation that we have to continue to seek with God as we sin. So reconciliation is from God. It's a work through Christ. It's without distinction. And it provides forgiveness. I went backwards. Did I go backwards? Yes. How did that happen? I'm pushing buttons. All right. So God's work of forgiveness. The reconciliation in Christ is based completely on the next truth now. Let's see. 
which is the third truth concerning Christ, righteousness in Christ. This is found in verse 21. This is the verse. Uh, You want the shortest, concise, most complete description of the gospel, this is it. This is a great verse to memorize. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the gospel. Righteousness. We need to define the term. This is what God does all the time. God is righteous all the time. He always does what is morally and ethically right all the time. He never lies. He never sins. He's always righteous. He's perfect. God has never done anything wrong, sinful in his entire existence. He's righteous. Righteousness is God's final standard for what is right. In other words, God sets what's right, not what you think. (laughs) Do you understand? You can't say, well, it's right to do this, and it go against what God's standard is. God's righteousness is the standard, not yours. Whatever he says is right, that's right. That's what righteousness is. And who in this room is righteous? Let's ask a question. First, who in here does what's morally right all the time? Okay, we'll do, we'll do it by poll. Everybody in here that does what's morally right all the time, I want you to raise your hand high. No, don't do it. No, don't do it. If you do that, we're going to start fasting right away. I'm praying for you. No. No one in here does what is morally right all the time, correct? Matter of fact, let's do a check. Anybody in here gone their whole life without lying? No, okay, but that's one of the Ten Commandments, a standard for God, so that means everybody in the room's a liar. Everybody that's a liar, raise your hand. Okay, good. You got it right. You're a liar. Everybody in here's a liar. Who keeps God's standard of righteousness all the time? Maybe you started doing it now. You keep it all the time even now. Nobody. Okay, but who in this room is righteous? Raise your hand if you think you're righteous. Raise your hand. I want to see. Okay, come on. Some of you got it. Some of you don't want to raise your hand. You're like, oh, oh, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Which one is it? Raise your hand. Or no. It's almost like uh, it's almost like one of those altar calls, you know, where the guy says, "Anybody in here sin? Raise your hand." Sure. Anybody in here saved? Raise your hand. Yeah. You know. Look, listen. How many of you in here are righteous? If you answer the question, "I'm righteous by myself." than none of you. Do you understand? If you say, 
Well, I'm going to be righteous from this sermon on, I promise. Then you're not. I'm going to do it. Oh, you need to leave. Because <laughs> you're not righteous. But if you answer, I am righteous in Christ, then all who truly believe in Christ, they are right with God. They're righteous. Why? Not based on what you do. Not based on what you've done. Based on what Christ has done. He, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. What does that mean? Let's look at it. Notice how this verse unfolds. God made Jesus to be sin. He made him. That's what that means. God made him, Jesus, to be sin? What? Did Jesus ever sin? No, God made the perfect one to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned, but he made him to be sin. What does that mean? God made Jesus to be sin on our behalf. So what does this mean? This means God placed our sin on Jesus Christ. And punish Jesus Christ for our sin. How much of our sin? All my sin in the past? Any sin that I do today? And all my sin in the future was placed on Christ and God punished him for my sin. All who have repented and trusted in Christ, God did that for. It's done. So I am righteous in Christ. Not because, and there's no hallelujahs for me. There's not any praise Mike. Way to go. You did it. It's because he made him. God made Christ. Who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf. On our behalf, all those who believe. God made Jesus to be sin so that we could be righteous in Christ. When the Father looks at me, he sees my sin paid for. Every sin. Now, if this isn't the greatest news you've ever heard, then you've missed it. This is great news. For all of us that are trusting in Christ, this should make you want to go out and tell everybody about it. It means all your sins are paid for. Everyone. To summarize this verse, God made Christ the believer's sacrifice for sin so that the believer could be righteous before God in Christ. That's the, that's the gist of it. This is the gospel. This is why we're reconciled to God. This is why we're transformed. Because of what God did through Christ. It's great news. This is the great exchange, ladies and gentlemen. Our sin 
was placed on Jesus, the Holy One. And we who God saves are now credited, given all of his righteousness, and all of our sin is paid for. Read Romans 5. It's a wonderful chapter. This is the most staggering truth in all the Bible. Think about this. Here we are. We've all sinned countless times, right? Multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of times, right? All of it. Christ took all the punishment on himself. All of it. And then, on top of that, all of his righteousness, and we've seen in Luke so far, how righteous is Jesus? Perfect, ain't he? Everything he does is what? Right. He interprets the law perfect. He always does exactly what the law says. All of his righteousness is then credited to my account, too. Wow! Me, the sinner, gets all my sin paid for, and all of his righteousness is put in my place, in my credit. That's much better than hitting the lottery. (laughs) Much better. Sinner me! Right with God. By the way, most of us in this room, I would assume, are believers. (laughs) And so that, I want you to look around. Look around. Everybody take a second look around. Look around. We have these arguments occasionally in church, and everybody has disagreements. We look at people and we argue and we complain. Look at the person next to you. Most likely, that person is righteous in your own eyes. They are a Christian. They're forgiven. Are they perfect? No. But Christ paid for their sin too. And their sin has been paid for and Christ's righteousness is in their account. And it's not some holy person like me and Ronaldo. Only me and Ronaldo and Mark. We're the righteous people. No. No. Matter of fact, I think we could probably, all three of us could probably argue, we're probably the biggest sinners that needed sin to be paid for. We're righteous people by what Christ did. Quit fighting with each other. Be reconciled. They're right with God. What are we holding it against them for? Stop. They're right with God. We're reconciled. We're friends with God. But you can't be friends with your neighbor? Your church member? Give me a break. Oh, but he's really mean to me. What did you do to God? You killed his son. And yet he loves you and he's your friend and you're reconciled to him. Stop. God's made us right with him. So God has transformed each believer. He's reconciled each believer to himself. He has made each believer righteous in Christ. These are great. This is great news, ain't it? Is anybody in here saying, oh, I think I want a, I want a better sermon? <laughs> I want some better news. Give me some better news. No, this is good news. Now, you ask me, well, why should I focus on this? Because 
this truth is what's going to motivate you to do what's right also. It's going to motivate you to live holy lives. It's going to motivate you to share this gospel. And that's exactly what Paul says in this passage. He intermingles it in the passage. Notice, I want you to notice. He gives our responsibility along the way. God's done this. God's done this. God's done this. Do this. Do this. Do this. All the way through the passage, he does it. Look, our responsibility in Christ. The ministry of reconciliation. It's found at the end of 18 and the end of verse 19. Notice it says, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Also, not counting their trespasses against them and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So God did something. So now we have a responsibility. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry of reconciliation. The word ministry here literally means humble service. Did you get that? Humble service of reconciliation. The word is used for serving tables, ministry, serving tables, serving others. In this case, it's humbly serving the saving hope of the gospel. It's giving it out to people. Sharing the hope of Christ with people. That is our role. And what is the message? It's the word of reconciliation. That you can be right with God through what Christ has done. Trust in him. That's the word. So our responsibility is to serve this message of God's reconciliation to others. That is what Paul's main defense is. It is not that Paul was using the Corinthians to get rich. It was not that Paul was trying to become famous. It's all about humbly serving the word of reconciliation to people. So why in the world should there ever be a fight in a church? Can you imagine? Fights in churches. Church splits. What is that? The total opposite of what the Bible says our responsibility to do is. It's the opposite. Instead, we're supposed to be serving up restored relationships. Especially restored relationships with God, correct? Instead, we are doing what? Making broken relationships. That's a tragedy. What is that, ladies and gentlemen? Hypocrisy. (laughs) Hypocrisy. We are reconciled to God, and we're supposed to be serving up reconciliation for other people, and here we are, we're picking out everybody else's faults, and we're not restoring relationships with people, and we're not humbly serving up a right relationship with God to other people. That's a shame, isn't it? means we don't know what reconciliation really is. If you understand that you've been reconciled to God, you'll do everything you can to share and serve this word of Christ's redemption and reconciliation through his death to people. That should be your main priority in life. 
It should be the main priority in your home, too. And in your workplace. Because, folks, next we see, and finally, we are ambassadors of Christ. This is an amazing little phrase. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What's an ambassador for Christ? He's a messenger or representative for someone in authority over him. An ambassador is somebody that represents Somebody above them. We are representatives to the world. We are messengers to the world. He's our king, and we are here to tell people about his transforming work and his reconciling work. We represent him to the world. That is what Paul's main role, and this is our main role. We are ambassadors for Christ. Let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen. What kind of representative are we for Christ? What kind of ambassador are you? Do we represent Christ to our to our co-workers? To our community? To our families? To our country? To the world? Notice how Paul carries this out to the end. He says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. This literally should be translated, we beg, and not the you, on behalf of Christ. The you shouldn't be there. It should be, we just beg people in general on behalf of Christ. We're constantly saying, please be reconciled to God through what Christ has done. Trust in him. Repent and believe. That should be our whole message. It should be all about proclaiming the word. You see the tension here a little bit? God did it, right? God reconciled us. God accomplished all these things. But we still have a responsibility to do something. And what is the responsibility? To proclaim the word of reconciliation. To tell people about Christ. To share it with him. So my question, when we yell at our children, are we ambassadors for Christ? When we fight with our church members, are we ambassadors for Christ? When we don't get along with each other, are we ambassadors for Christ? There's need for reconciliation. All of us at this point, every single one of us in this room needs to seek God, confess our sins, and run back to the truth of the cross, of what he's done for us. See, there will be no sin held against other people 
if you understand Christ's forgiveness of your sin. I think we fight for our rights way too much. We are constantly fighting for this is not fair. But that's the opposite of what the Bible says. We should be humble servants of reconciliation. Seeking people to be reconciled to God through Christ. In Christ, we've been transformed in our thinking and in our nature. In Christ, we have been reconciled to God through Christ, our Lord. In Christ, we have been credited with righteousness. In Christ, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And in Christ, we have been made ambassadors for Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for Christ. He is our King. He is our Lord. And we are your servants. God, we thank you. We want to serve you. We want to serve each other. We want to point people to you. Oh God, help us to be God-glorifying ambassadors. Your spirit lives in us. We can do it because we've been made right with you. And God, if there's someone here that hasn't been made right with you, they haven't repented of their sin, they haven't trusted in Christ, God, please convict them of their sin. Show them that they killed the Messiah. And help them to turn from their sin and trust in him alone. We pray this in Christ's name.